Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the third and final instalment of our very, very special Comic-Con Daily Podcasts. I'm joined, as ever, by Jaime Blanco, a.k.a. James White, and Nick Desemblin. We really need to come up with a better Spanish name for you, Nick. Nacho Desemblin? Nacho Desemblin, that'll do. That's the one. And we're recording it here at the very tail end of, I think, the biggest day in Comic-Con history on the uh, on the, on the roof of the Hilton Bayfront. Very, very glamorous. We've got a lovely view of the uh, of the bay. It's all very, very nice. And like I say, it was the biggest day in the history of Comic-Con. Today we had previews of The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. We had previews of Man of Steel. Uh, Gareth Edwards showed up with, amazingly, a teaser trailer for Godzilla. Uh, We had Quentin Tarantino with Django Unchained. Uh, We had Guillermo del Toro, who will be on the show later on, with Pacific Rim. And it all finished with an amazing preview of Iron Man 3. And Kevin Feige confirmed a whole welter of amazing Marvel news, including name changes for Captain America 2, Thor 2, and confirmation of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, and someone may have popped in to San Diego when he actually pretended he was in London, and that, of course, was Edgar Wright. But that started off with with Nick, who uh, saw the amazing Warner Brothers slash Legendary Pictures presentation in Hall H. Nick, what was that like? Absolutely immense. Uh, Zack Snyder and Henry Cavill dropped by. They showed uh, an extended trailer for Man of Steel. Ooh, which is the first time we've seen really anything from this film, apart from that, that first shot of There's been one, uh, yeah, one yeah. shot of him outside a bank vault. Yeah. Um, but this was, yeah, proper. You got to see uh, Russell Crowe. Ooh, that's Jor-El. A of, yep, there was even a bit of narration from him. Um, you got to see Superman flying, and uh, there was lots more. There was one very intriguing shot of Superman walking down a corridor uh, with soldiers with guns escorting him. Human soldiers or Kryptonian soldiers? Uh, looked like army, U.S. Army. U.S. Army. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, That's interesting because um, obviously Brian Singer's Superman Returns was a thinly failed uh, remake, or I guess adaptation of, of Superman the movie in, in many ways. Uh, will this be a thinly failed remake of Superman two, in which Superman gives up his power so he can be with Lois Lane? I somebody, somebody in the audience did ask uh, specifically about General Zod. Yes. And Zack Snyder would not confirm that Zod is in the movie. He wouldn't confirm that Zod is in the movie despite the fact that Michael Shannon has been confirmed as Zod and has been talking about playing Indeed, Zod in Indeed, it was rather peculiar that he didn't do so, but he, he refused to acknowledge that it maybe was Zod. They, maybe they've cut him out. <laughs> <laughs> there was one shot, there was one, only one shot of Michael Shannon in the footage, uh, but he, he looked villain. He looked Zod-like. Was, that, was anyone kneeling before him? Uh, there was no kneeling prominent. I, I have a theory that because he's been shooting his role almost entirely in a motion capture suit, Zack Snyder can basically make him whatever he wants, and that the villain in <laughs> Superman will be Pikachu from uh, Pokemon. <laughs> interesting. I don't think so. I think Superman will have his uh, work cut out with with Pikachu. Uh, interesting. So, did, did the footage look good overall? Did it have that that Zack Snyder sheen where everything's in slow mo? It was less Zack Snydery. Than I expected it being Zack Snyder who've, who who made the film. Um, it was more uh, Christopher Nolan esque, Nolan y, I guess the word is. Um, Nolanistic. Nolanistic, and even a, a bit Malachy because uh, it opened up with a couple of shots of there was a shot of corn swaying gently in the Ooh, breeze. The Kansas corn. And, you know, a few kind of things like that. And then uh, it, it was quite portentous, it was quite solemn, it was quite, you know, it, was going, it had a real Dark night feeling to it. I'm not sure if I want a dark and solemn and portentous Superman movie. I think this is a character that works best when he's fun and bright and breezy. There wasn't a lot of that. Obviously. There wasn't a lot of that? Okay. There wasn't a lot, there wasn't a lot of, of, of fun or, or silliness or lightness to it. There's no fun in Superman. So, you said Russell Crowe has narration as Jor-El. 
Yes. How does he sound? Does he sound like Russell Crowe? Was he doing a Marlon Brando impression, or what? What is he doing? No, he's certainly not doing a Brando impression. He sounded like Russell Crowe. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to tell it was Russell Crowe. <laughs> not, not being able to see his face. Um, he was hurling Kryptonian phones at. He wasn't doing any. He hadn't stuffed tissue in his mouth. He, he was doing a pretty, a pretty straight vocalization. Okay, interesting. And what about Cavill as Superman? He looked very good, actually. Yeah, he looked very good. Um, sounded? How does he sound? Sounded good. Yeah. What, what were you hoping for him to sound like? Well, just does he sound imposing? Does he sound like a man who has a lot of authority? Is he American sounding? What, what is it? Not particularly. Um, I'm trying to remember how much he says in the trailer. I don't think he says a great deal. It's one of those trailers that's really people oh, talking over the top. Beats There's a little yeah. bit, but he, he doesn't sound hugely American. Um, but yeah, he looks good. There's there's a shot early on where he's walking down a, a street with a backpack on, and he's got a quite a big beard oh yeah we, yeah, we saw pop shots of him with a beard yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting again uh, that might be a hint that he, this is like a super vagrant type thing super hobo super hobo for a while uh, and uh, one last thing about Superman do we get to see him as Clark Kent in this footage yes there were a few shots of him arriving at the Daily Planet putting his glasses on okay so but it, it, was, it was very much teased you didn't really see him in, in okay. full Clark Kent go and the audience went wild moderately wild <laughs> moderately um, wild it was good. It was. It was just not the biggest thing in that hall, you know, compared okay. to some of the other stuff that went down. Okay. It, now, it the, the biggest thing in the hall was clearly the Hobbit, an unexpected journey. But before we get to that, the most surprising thing, although we knew about it beforehand because we're awesome, uh, was Gareth Edwards turning up with a teaser trailer for Godzilla. Now yeah, they didn't announce that it was Godzilla. They just played it, and people went absolutely bananas. It was. Uh, very very slick looking the uh, first shot is a huge shot of a city just completely deserted cars everywhere completely trashed mm-hmm. and then there were a procession of shots of skyscrapers in ruins and stuff really great voiceover over the top and then a reveal of Godzilla in full mm. roaring wow and people went absolutely bananas and they played it again was there Godzuki <laughs> uh, I think they're saving that I think they're saving that for next year maybe it's a faithful adaptation. You have to have Godzuki. And that's amazing, because uh, Gareth Edwards was actually a judge at our Dunn 60 Seconds final uh, back in March. And I sat beside him for the entire dinner. And he was talking about Godzilla. He was talking about, you know, it's been two years. It's been it's been quite tough. There's been a lot of work involved. And he's been shuttling back and forth between LA and London. At no point did he say, oh, yeah, I've been knocking out a trailer. Uh, just, you know on my computer or something or with a whole bunch of guys and this wasn't a quickie thing either you know it wasn't like the teaser trailer for the Roland Emmerich Godzilla yeah. where you saw the foot coming down yeah. and that was released way before the film as well yeah. but that was just a couple of effects shots yeah. this was absolutely the scope of it and the scale of it is insane it sounds amazing so again it, it sounds huge. quite you know dark and, and full on it doesn't sound like the jokey Emmerich version that we had if, if cities are deserted and cars are being trashed and skyscrapers are being munched no not at all I don't think this is a popcorn film yeah. Gareth said uh, when he came on stage and he, he said he almost cried he was yeah. he was very kind of taken back by the, the reaction of the crowd to it uh, but he said he's going very much for a realistic vibe to it phenomenal and yeah. I can't, I'm really excited that they've re- revealed Godzilla or at least you know, partially revealed him and I guess that must be the head off criticism because the Emmerich one held back the Godzilla for so long and then when they released it, it kind of looked a bit rubbish. And so this one looks good. Looks like old school Godzilla. It looks Man a lot less like Jimmy Hill than the one in the Roland Emmerich <laughs> one, which is a vast improvement. But um, this is more Alan Hansen. It's he's gone for more of a Hansen look. Uh, oh. No, it's um, we've sort of got Godzilla here. And it's terrible. Look at him. He's taking a chunk out of last guy's career. But when you talk about peace and power and 
<laughs> eating stuff. It looked terrific, yeah. and uh, you know they're, they're not hiding it. They they shown it in the before the film has even started shooting, and they showed the trailer twice. Wow! And people went nuts both times. Oh man! And I think they're onto a you know a good thing here. I'm very excited about this, uh, James. I'm sure you agree. I mean, Monsters was for me one of the best films. I think it came out in 2010, and just you know the, the ingenuity that Gareth showed was phenomenal. You, you, you like Neil Blomkamp with District Nine. You looked at him and thought, what can this guy do if given? A massive water cash. Definitely. Uh, even even when he was first announced as the director, you know, back in January 2011, everyone was very excited about the idea. We've, he's shown he can do a lot with very little, and now he's got a lot of money to play with, and possibly the most iconic monster in the world. It's it's. I can't wait. I really can't wait. I'm curious about whether this film is going to be sympathetic towards Godzilla, yeah. because monsters was very much you know tried to understand these creatures. It was quite sympathetic towards. Yeah, them. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it pr- just stomping around, trashing stuff. Well, that's they, they weren't. They you know, you know they weren't trying to kill people. For them, people were just a, a, an afterthought. What's that thing tapping at my ankles? But given one of the most iconic uh, monster scenes, or at least one of the most iconic interpretations of it, will we be seeing a Godzilla mating scene? <laughs> Perhaps he tries to shag the Chrysler building or something. Who, who knows? <laughs> Hello, you look quite tasty. Uh, I'd love to if Godzilla spoke with a Terry Thomas voice. That'd be amazing. And uh, so let's, go, let's get to the big one um, before we get to the other big one of the legendary Warner Brothers presentation, which was The Hobbit an unexpected journey uh, who was here and what did we see so Peter Jackson was here obviously and he brought along with him Andy Serkis Richard Armitage he plays foreign yep. leader of the dwarves yep. he brought along uh, Philippa Boyens he brought along Ian McKellen cool where I, was Fran she's quite shy I think she is doesn't, she she doesn't usually do public appearances oh ok uh, the, the other 12 dwarves unfortunately I think are still in barrels somewhere in storage they're hanging out with that man somewhere yeah exactly but no, it was it was a no-brainer that this was going to be huge, and the, the, they really made an event out of it. They dimmed the lights, filled the room with the sound of dwarvish chanting, and then <laughs> Jackson came out and everyone went, went bonkers. And he he uh, didn't just show the stuff that he showed at CinemaCon, he brought 12 and a half minutes of okay, footage, wow. which is amazing. We got the scene where Bilbo is recruited by the dwarves and Gandalf for the quest, and there's some really funny stuff where Bilbo's reading the contract saying stuff like laceration, evisceration and <laughs> he's getting more and more distressed as he's reading it it sounds a bit like the contract you sign when you start working for Empire frankly <laughs> exactly and there's some talk of Smorg and then they set off on the quest um, we also got to see a big chunk of the Riddles in the Dark sequence oh, with cool. finished Gollum looked finished to me anyway very cool uh, talking to Bilbo and Martin Freeman looks like he's nailed it We've got big laughs oh really cool yeah. fantastic uh, very Tim from the office or uh, what's his vibe uh, he doesn't look at the camera at any point. But, um, <laughs> that would be amazing. He's uh, and he hasn't put a, a stapler in Gandalf's jelly, but um, he's he's uh, there's 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 hints of it, but he, he's not overdoing it. It's, okay. it's quite subtle. But there's some really funny stuff with Gollum. There's there's, there's a great bit where Gollum is uh, talking about how he's going to eat him and stuff, and it's just the facial reaction of. of of Freeman is fantastic. I love the uh, the Hobbit stuff that's on the floor. Actually, you know, all uh, thirteen dwarfs and uh, there there are lenticular posters on the floor of the thirteen dwarfs and Bilbo and uh, Galadriel and Gandalf and they're fantastic. You move, you go towards them and they move, and so you know they'll have a pipe in one frame, then you move and the pipe will disappear. And it's interesting watching the the makeup of the of the dwarfs. I and mean, they don't all look like Gimli. They don't. They're not all. You know, just buried under swathes of prosthetic makeup. So people like Aiden Turner, who's a bit of a looker in real life, is actually sexy dwarf. But then there's 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 more as well. If you go to the Weta booth, uh, there are these three huge trolls on the floor, and there's uh, there's 
Thorin Oaken Shield and, and you know Gandalf looking down on you from the top of the wedded booth. And in fact, uh, Nick and I went there today earlier this morning. In fact, uh, to talk to a, a veritable god, uh, one of the the men behind the special effects and the the practical effects uh, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and now both Hobbit films, the one and only Richard Taylor. And here are the highlights. So Richard Taylor, twelfth Comic Con. Is that in a row, or have you interspersed little visits here and there? It was in a row till last year. I unfortunately had to skip last year because we had uh, the Hobbit in production and I wasn't able to get away at the time. But uh, we still <laughs> represented the Weta Workshop and Weta Collectible uh, business here through uh, Tim and his team of Weta Limited. So it was, uh, you know, it was fantastic. But sadly, I missed it. Oh man, we got it. I mean, you, you know, the Hobbit's a good excuse. It is. A, it is a very good excuse. But I love being here. I find. Uh, Comic-Con to be an incredible inspiration for me uh, you know it's tiring and you you know you're walking the floor and you're getting to meet lots of people but those people are inspiring the spa- the, the the shows inspiring and uh, all the incredible artists are inspiring so I you know I, I love it we should mention that we're here at the Weta booth in the middle of the floor at Comic-Con and there are three rather imposing trolls standing nearby. Uh, what can you say yes. about that? Was that a, yes, a big I deal bringing them over? a little carried away this year. <laughs> uh, I wanted to do something very special. You can appreciate the dream of working on Lord of the Rings is almost you know, incomprehensible, but then to get to also uh, have a chance to work on The Hobbit. So the first presentation after working on The Hobbit, we wanted to do something very, very special. And uh, the amazing people at Warners and uh, Peter and Fran and the producers all um, agreed and were very happy for us to present uh, both Thorin, Gandalf and three massive trolls. And they are absolutely huge. Yeah, they and were a challenge getting here, I can tell you. Yep, and uh, they look slightly different to the versions we've seen in Fellowship. I know you can't say too much, but they're, they're quite hairy for yeah. a start. Yeah, 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 a little snotty. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. They um, Obviously, in the Trollshaw Forest clearing in uh, Lord of the Rings, we didn't see them barely at all. And uh, we had just carved those out of polystyrene and hard-coated them. So they... They weren't. They were built in exactly the same way our standards. Uh, so they weren't particularly sophisticated sculptures that we did back then. But they served their job because they were hidden in the forest, and so that allowed us a um, a much greater license to do something very special. And our designer Andrew Baker designed some beautiful characters that we've been able to present here. They look fantastic. We spoke to Neil Blomkamp yesterday, and he told us that he has the Raven from Elysium and he's going to store it in his house. Are those trolls going in the Taylor household when this is done? <laughs> I wish. Unfortunately, we live in a very small bungalow, so uh, <laughs> they would certainly dominate. But, uh, you but get snot boy, everywhere as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and we don't want drippy snot everywhere. Um, but uh, I, it would be lovely to think they may squeeze somewhere in on the workshop floor. Logistically, uh, how difficult is it to get three huge trolls over? Were they built here or did you ship them over from no, New Zealand? No, we actually built them in our facility uh, in China that is run by, uh, by Fred Tang, our very dear friend who manufactures our collectibles. And uh, one of our sculptors, Max, went up and uh, worked with his sculptors to produce them, mould them, 
cast them and then put them in a shipping container and ship here. So logistically not too difficult, much more difficult assembling them on the floor. It takes eight people to lift each half. It's a lot of troll. Yeah. Um, and it, are you, have you got The Hobbit on the mind 24-7 or have, are you working on a whole bunch of different projects at the moment? We have finished now, um, other than pickups, which... Um, so we are now trying to think about the next thing. Lots of neat things on the go. We have a publishing arm within our company, so we're doing some books. Um, my wife and I run a children's television production company with, uh, with our partner, Martin, and we've got lots of stuff on the go there. But most enjoyably, we are doing a line of collectibles for The Hobbit, and uh, that's thrilling stuff for me, being a huge garage kit collector myself. <laughs> so so if, uh, if someone was coming and heard this podcast and decided to come next year, a newcomer to Comic-Con, if you had three tips for them, what would those tips be? Well, walk into the place with open eyes, be inspired by the place. That's the most critical thing. Of course, the the floor, there's amazing things to buy and there's amazing things to see, but you want to observe the things here because the floor is about a group of inspirational entrepreneurs that have come up with uh, original uh, intellectual property some of them today are huge Star Wars and Marvel and, uh, and uh, amazing companies like Sideshow and, uh, and others that are doing huge things. But then, of course, there's the very beginnings of companies, an original doll or a teddy bear or an action yeah. figure that gets born on the floor because of the celebration of the fans. Yeah. Um, wear comfy shoes, of course, <laughs> and, um, and uh, just get immersed in the mayhem, wonderment and fun of this incredible place. It's, I call it the litmus test of the popular culture of the world. For yeah. these four days, you can sense where the popular culture of the world is right now, better than anywhere else in the world. And if you walk out of this building not being inspired and thrilled by the experience, there's something missing. Lovely guy, Richard Turner. Absolutely lovely guy. One of your favourite people, isn't he, Nick? He really is, and I'm now kicking myself for not asking for a photo of him <laughs> yeah, with the no. three snotty, huge <laughs> trolls who were standing by the wetter booth. Every time I've seen you today, you've been kicking yourself about that. I was like, oh, why don't we take a picture of Richard Turner with the trolls? I'm going to forgive myself. Uh, maybe he's around tomorrow. Who knows? We can get a picture taken then. Uh, Blanco, what were you up today? Well, there was one other extremely iconic person who uh, was making a big splash in Hall H. Oh, and thank you very was much. Yes, not you, Christopher. Oh. Uh, it was uh, Quentin Tarantino who oh, brought yeah. who brought uh, Django Unchained. Uh, yeah, Quentin arrived in uh, Comic Con in Hall H, and he brought with him Jamie Fox, who was suitably hatted and bearded, and Don Johnson, who appeared to be entering the hair competition uh, by wearing <laughs> a big long ponytail. Because they're still filming, aren't they? So he would still be in character, wouldn't they? They are. Yeah, everybody, everybody was still basically in in costume and makeup, not completely, of course. But yeah, they've got about a week left, <laughs> uh, week to ten days or so to shoot on the film still. Okay. Interesting. Who else was there? Walton Goggins was here today. Walton Goggins, yeah. the legend of Justified and the Shield, was there, okay. and uh, also uh, Kerry Washington playing Broomhilda. And didn't, as Tarantino pointed out, that meant that Crockett and Tubbs were here. That was yes. They had the original Crockett <laughs> and the new Tubbs. I've yes. never made that connection until now. Absolutely right. That's amazing. Uh, so, what was the footage? Because Nick and I have both seen seven minutes of this film. I saw seven minutes in Cannes a couple of months ago. Nick saw the same footage in Cannes back in May. 
Was this the same footage? The footage was basically the same footage that has been shown before. So, because it's old footage, uh, there is already a footage breakdown on the Empire website that Nick wrote uh, back when he saw it in Cannes. Uh, so, if you can go on the Empire uh, website and check it out, there it is. But uh, Tarantino is a big favourite here. I remember him coming for Kill Bill, uh, for Death Proof, for pretty much everything he's done. Uh, and uh, Nick, he was wearing an interesting t-shirt, wasn't he? Tarantino always wears good t-shirts. Um, <laughs> today he was wearing a Tarantino Babies t-shirt, which basically is kind of like the Muppet Babies, but with a lot more swearing <laughs> and, and, and guns. Um, and it's little versions of uh, Vincent Vega and The Bride and all kinds of stuff. It's very cool. He kind of does that. He's one of the few people in the world who can get away with wearing a self-aggrandizing t-shirt. Uh, what else did you see today? Were you? Uh... What I did today, I talked to uh, some of the gang from Django Unchained, and I also uh, sat in on some of the uh, interviews with the gang from a brand new TV show called Revolution. Uh, it's it's got a it's got a very it's got a very good Comic Con pedigree. Uh, it was co-created by Eric Kripke, who was the man behind Supernatural, and it's produced by J.J. Abrams, the man behind pretty much everything on television right now. And also, uh, the pilot was directed by Mr. John Favreau. Ooh. Okay. So that's that's kind of exciting. Sadly, Mr. Favreau was not in attendance today. We only got Mr. Kripke, who is uh, well, very entertaining. Actually, today. Mr. Favreau was in attendance today because he hightailed it from the Revolution Junket, where he was presumably talking to people who weren't us, uh, to appear at the Iron Man 3 panel. Uh, which ended the day, uh, and I was in attendance at that. And there's been a lot of discussion on on Twitter, Nick, about who won the day today. Was it Warner's? And obviously they brought more stuff, uh, or was it Marvel? And I was in the room for the Marvel thing. I wasn't in the room for the Warner's thing, so I don't know what the reaction was like. But the reaction to the Iron Man three panel was as good as I've ever seen a panel here at, at Comic Con. Did it was Marvel amazing. have dwarvish chanting? They didn't, but they did have Ant Man. Oh. So, oh, okay, so there is right, that. that so, uh, I'll just take you through the uh, the the Marvel presentation very very briefly. It kicked off with a, a real scene setter. Uh, kicked off with a montage of Marvel's appearances at Comic Con over the last few years, starting with 2006 when Kevin Feige on a panel with Avi Arad, who was head of Marvel back then, uh, and indeed Edgar Wright. Uh, we're talking about the Marvel universe and how they were building towards the Avengers and everyone went nuts and then we saw glimpses of Iron Man and Iron Man 2 and the Avengers at Comic Con and people just going nuts and then Feige comes out Kevin Feige comes out and uh, gets straight into it announces a whole ton of Marvel news that just brought the roof off the building so first of all he announced that Thor 2 will no longer be called Thor 2 it is now called Thor The Dark World which tallies with what he told uh, me a couple of months ago after The Avengers came out about the idea that Thor 2 is going to be very darker, it's going to explore the seedier underside of, of the uh, Asgard underbelly. There's a seedy side of Asgard. There's a seedy side of Asgard. Strip joints and, you know, people, you know, homeless people in, in gold leather. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be cool. Hobos with hammers. Yeah. Can you imagine hobo, hobos with enchanted hammers? <laughs> you are a greedy, cruel, and quite weird-smelling boy! <laughs> uh, I, I could imagine... And you are an old man and a fool, give me 10p for a cup of tea! <laughs> I, I could imagine, however, that, that they might have gotten even more of an impact if they'd simply called it Thor 2. Yes, Loki's definitely in this one as well, because <laughs> Hiddleston's army is going to go out for yeah. that one. So, Chris, was there not something involving a raccoon? There uh, was as well. well, but I'll get to that in a second, because uh, Captain America 2 is now also called Captain America the Winter Soldier, which refers to an arc in the comic books where Bucky, who died in the first Avenger, spoiler if you haven't seen it, Bucky dies, uh, and uh, he comes back in the comic books as a character called the Winter Soldier, who initially kind of starts off quite bad. I think he's been brainwashed by the Russians and uh, is basically set on a collision course with, with Captain America. Old friends, obviously. Um, how that's going to work out in a present-day Captain America movie, given that Bucky died in 1944, I'm not quite sure. 
but it's going to be interesting finding out, that's for sure. He also, Kevin Feige, announced, uh, I guess, confirmed the worst-kept secret in the movie industry, which is that the second uh, Marvel movie in 2014, the one that comes out in August, is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, with a super team headed up by basically a talking raccoon uh, called Rocket Raccoon, which which Kevin Feige that that was the uh, the image that he used to announce Guardians of the Galaxy because I think people and we've we've discussed this in the podcast ourselves people are a little skeptical about this film and I think by getting it out there now and by confirming the team lineup including Drax the Destroyer and Star Lord and Groot and Gamora and indeed Rocket Raccoon I think he's gonna there's there's gonna be a, a process of education over the next two years I'm on board it's gonna be interesting and again as we've discussed in the podcast it's gonna explore a much more cosmic fantastical side of the Marvel Universe uh, tying in with the whole introduction of Thanos in, in the, at the tail end of the Avengers so I'm looking forward to that and then there was another piece of Marvel news which was that yes after tweeting that he was in London and even getting Simon Pegg to, to play along with the uh, with the tweets this morning, Edgar Wright did indeed turn out to be in San Diego. He came along and he basically confirmed that, yes, I've taken a while to direct Ant-Man. Uh, it's going to take a little while longer, but I will get around to it eventually. I've shot some test footage. Would you like to see the test footage? And he showed the test footage. And for a breakdown of that, you can go to my story on the Emperor website. But suffice to say, it was fantastic. Okay, uh, I'm very aware that I've been talking a lot about uh, the Marvel presentation, but here's one last thing, which was the Iron Man 3 footage. The the panel was fantastic. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. rock-starred his way into the arena. Loud music interrupted Kevin Feige. Uh, He came in through the crowds, which is very, you know, unusual and dangerous because he could have been picked apart by people. Uh, And he was wearing uh, an Iron Man glove, came up on stage, just, you know, did the whole milking it thing. And uh, he's just worshipped like a god here. It's, It's phenomenal. Lynn, he basically played he said play the footage and so they, they played the footage and it's very very interesting again there'll be a full breakdown on the Empire website so go and see that but highlights included uh, Tony coming to grips with the new Mark 8 uh, Iron Man armor which was on display today on the floor uh, at the Marvel booth at the convention centre and weirdly enough got a little bit of flack and Shane Black uh, alluded to that in an Iron Man 3 press conference that I went to he said can, can you believe that you know of all the things in the world to get worked up about people get worked up about the fact that it's mostly gold uh, which is which is interesting, but we know that people will complain about anything. Did the footage have a bit of a Shane Black vibe to it? Um, there wasn't a real sense of of singing dialogue, apart from one scene. There was a very funny scene between uh, Tony and John Favreau, who returns as Happy Hogan, uh, where they're talking on Skype, and uh, Favreau, refer- Happy Hogan, refers to uh, you know Tony Stark going away and playing with his super friends, and uh, hmm. you know he says that you know I had to quit. He says you know I no longer work for you, and Tony says, well you quit. He says, well yeah I had to quit because when I told people that I was Iron Man's bodyguard, they just fell about laughing, and you know, <laughs> and there's a reference to the Battle of New York in the Avengers where he goes, you know, my mother lives in Manhattan, you know, and she nearly jumped out of her second floor window when she saw a giant snake come out of the sky. And then Tony says, well, we took care of it, didn't we? Uh, but it, what it does is it, it ups the stakes uh, very, very interestingly after that. And uh, we have a voiceover with, of Ben Kingsley's The Mandarin, who's been confirmed as the, the big bad in this film. And he's, he's Iron Man's ultimate foe uh, throughout the, the comic book history. There was a sense that this one is going to be a very, very personal story for Tony. Um, I'm not entirely sure how the story works out that he doesn't contact the Avengers when he's in trouble, but essentially the Mandarin, and there were hints as well that he's involved with Guy Pierce's uh, Aldrich Killian, and uh, Rebecca Hall as Maya Hansen, a sexy scientist who may be uh, linked to the extremist program, which we'll get into, it, I'm guessing, at a later date. Um, but basically the Mandarin goes after Tony in a big, big way, and uh, in a very destructive way, and there was this incredible scene where 
Uh, Pepper Potts and Tony look on aghast in horror as helicopters are deployed towards Tony's Malibu mansion and effectively reduce it to smithereens. Uh, and uh, so it's... Uh, it could be Tony on the run. Tony, uh, you know, there's a scene of him looking, on, sitting on a bed looking very, very distraught. There's some nice scenes of, of him and Pepper Potts. There's, there's a scene where she's holding the Iron Man mask in her hand and uh, it's broken. So what does that mean? So really looking forward to Iron Man 3. But we're not going to end on Iron Man 3. We're going to end uh, on Pacific Rim, Nick, which was also in the Warner Brothers legendary uh, panel. Yes, and I believe it was the only original uh, thing that showed in Hall H today, as in it wasn't a reboot or a sequel or anything like that. It was completely original. It came straight from Guillermo del Toro's fevered brain, um, <laughs> and I, I, it looked amazing. It was effectively the ultimate boys' adventure movie. It's giant robots fighting uh, giant sea creatures Sold. that have come uh, through a rift at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean from another dimension. Okay. So how he described it and it looks nuts it's effectively the biggest robots you've ever seen controlled telepathically I guess by two guys who stand in the head and they kind of fuse their minds with the robot okay so if the, the robot's leg gets damaged their, they their, feel the their leg hurts as well okay so that's kind of a trippy concept and um, they, they, he teased the monsters apparently there are going to be uh, nine monsters in the film wow. each of them different okay and six or seven um, robots, or Jaegers, and the monsters are called Kaiju. We got to see quite a lot of fighting, and the, these things are gigantic. And wow. Hall H lost their minds. Are the robots bigger than Hall H? Nothing is bigger than Hall H. but <laughs> It does stretch on for miles. Yeah, these robots are 25 stories high, Okay. and they mean business. Wow. They can okay. do some damage. Well, let's hear from the man himself. Earlier, Nick and I actually spoke to Gamerel Del Toro, and he was a delight, as always, here at the Highlights. Comic-Con just isn't Comic-Con without Guillermo del Toro making an appearance <laughs> at some point with some mind-bending footage. The hot dog benders think that. <laughs> For sure. They love it. They're well, close early. <laughs> close early, yeah. Uh, you were here with Pacific Rim footage. Yeah. How did it go down? I think it went fantastic. I mean, I, I really was... Uh, um, there is, is one of those rare times where I, 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 I'm able to feel the emotion in the room more mm. than the cheering or this or that. There was... A, a great moment of uh, applause and this and that, but there was a chattering, like a chitter chatter about the footage after that, that that really was was beautiful. I mean, I don't know how else to say it because I've never experienced something like that. Not even with Hellboy or no, no, it's different because I think that uh, uh, you know, sadly or not, uh, people just uh, think of you in terms of what you've done, not what you want to do or can do because that remains a private endeavor and I think uh, uh, when they heard Pacific Rim and they heard the premise uh, they probably were imagining something different Mm -hmm. and and the fact is the movie is like the footage is it really is no matter what you see from now until it opens when you see the movie is different than what you have seen as promotional material It's, it's really it's really something new that I haven't tried before, but it's loyal to the way I make movies and loyal to the way my movies look mm-hmm. and loyal to the way my whatever I do. I, this movie is part of that. Well, I saw some suits. There's some suits down in the uh, Warner Brothers mm-hmm. booth mm-hmm. on the on the floor, mm-hmm. and uh, a male suit and a female suit, which I believe probably belongs to Ringo's character. No, the, in the female movie? suit is from the Russian. Okay. Female pilot. Okay, but just looking at it, I thought 
this is from a Guillermo del Toro movie. This yeah. is something only you could have designed or overseen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we we were. Look, this is the best experience I've ever had shooting a movie. Period. But but what is great is that we have a huge set. But we were running it fiscally so responsibly. We were running it. We ended the movie under schedule, under budget, <laughs> under. And, and 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 the reason why I did that partially was because I wanted to really. I have in paper creative controls, but I wanted to not give anyone a reason to to not be happy with the film. So the the dailies were beautiful, the dailies were gorgeous. I was proving concepts that were not very common in the way you do these movies, and at the same time I was running a good a good ship as producer. Yeah. I'm one of the producers, and and uh, I, the result is I've had as much freedom in this movie as I would have had in a smaller film. And, and I felt creatively as free and uh, as supported as I could have ever felt. Legendary and Warners are a great partnership for me and I, and I, I enjoyed the shooting this movie very much. The effects in the footage looked astonishing, I thought. Mm-hmm. And you know, right away you showed one of the, the robots crashing to the ground mm-hmm. in almost the, the first sequence in the footage. Uh, you seem to be holding back the monsters. Uh, yeah, you're only showing bit. glimpses of that. We show glimpses, and, and, and the fact is uh, that that monster, that robot falling, uh, what I wanted to show uh, partially is that uh, we're not doing just a, an action movie. I, I wanted to, when I started the project, I tell Thomas and, and John at Legendary, I said, look, I don't want to make a war movie. I, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I can make a movie about the resistance, and I can make it as an adventure. And as a kid, I, I used to see those Alexander Korda movies. And they were so colorful and so exotic and so beautiful. And, and they made you dream of adventure. And I wanted to make this an adventure film. So uh, immediately, tonally, I wanted to show drama. The fights are dramatic. There's a sense of um, scale to the fights that is really visceral. Mm. That is really... It gets you emotional. And I, don't, I, can, I can tell you what I did and this and that, but I cannot really... I'm amazed that it works so viscerally. Uh, one of the things we did with the digital effects is we we took a really, really grimy, dirty approach to... We shoot beautiful images, but the lens is always uh, covered in water or in oil or, or it's scratched. Literally, the lens has scratches or, or the lens... Uh, we do stuff, I don't want to say... What, there's a couple of things we do that are just completely abnormal when shooting, <laughs> doing effects. You'll see them. And they are so subtle, but they represent a huge effort to give them reality. And the other thing that we did constantly is we, 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 I asked them to, you know, you pay such amounts of money for effects that you, many times you end up with a, an impossibly cool camera move in a VFX movie. And I said, don't do any of that. We're not doing the super cool camera moves. We're going to shoot it as if we were shooting from a helicopter, from a rooftop, from the street. And, and one of the things I asked ILM, which is not normal in a VFX movie, is I said, repeat the same angles. A master, a long lens. I said, because I want, subconsciously, I want people to feel I'm watching something real yeah. that they happen to capture with four cameras. Yeah. And, and finally, the other thing that I did is we spend a lot of money, for example, when a, when a creature makes contact with a building. Well, I asked them to make the camera arrive two seconds later. Okay. And, and not frame it all the way up. 
like oh it's an uncomfortable framing Mm. So that all these things give the CG a sense of drama and reality that is not that common. With the uh, with the monster designs, which we obviously haven't seen yet in full, um, is there a, a, again a Lovecraft inspiration? Which no, no. We I was very very careful, very very careful uh, that this movie should not be should in any way look to the past or or me trying things that were not completely of this movie. I didn't, I didn't want to, oh, I couldn't do mountains, so I'm going to do a Lovecraftian monster. That would have been the wrong way. I would have not serviced mountains, and I would have not serviced this movie. I said, we're, we're creating this movie completely on its own as if it really happened. Obviously, with the saturation of color and crazy operatic stuff that I'm talking about, but we, I, I tried to create a world where there's black market uh, commerce with the kaiju parts, uh, there's famine, there's... Uh, because most of the commerce uh, in the world is done through sea. Yeah. So what would happen to food? It would be super scarce. Yeah. Uh, what would happen with beachfront property? Undesirable. Yeah. You know, what would happen with... Uh, what would the politics would be saying? What would nations would be saying? What would the Atlantic Ocean would be saying? I mean, we really went and imagined the world in great detail and then allowed the characters to just move in that world. So you're about a year out from release, I believe. Um, What stage is the movie in at the moment? And did you have to cut stuff together, especially for this? Yeah, the the thing is, the the way I should is I I should and edit at the same time. The cast is used to this, and like uh, I edit, uh, I I edit at lunch or after ramp. So so the next day after we finish a scene, I come in the morning and I say, "Do you want to see it?" Yeah. So the, you have the scene that you did the, the, the day before, and if I have to repeat a shot, I show them why. And I edit at the same time. So essentially, I, I have a, a first edition, a first cut of the movie the week after we wrap. And, and I, I, it's, it, the movie is very close to my cut already. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's um, a little over two hours, but not much. And, uh, and uh, the... Because we started, we did, uh, the way we're doing effects, this is not common. We struck a deal with ILM in order to be able to afford the movie for much less than, than uh, it would be in a summer movie of this size. And, and the deal with ILM was we are going to try, I'm going to, uh, part of my obligation was I needed to turn over three of the largest sequences of the movie during the shoot. And I needed to be fully storyboarded by the middle of the shoot. <laughs> and we were able to do both things. So I was able to have shots in progress as we moved towards Comic-Con. Yeah. And we chose uh, a few shots that were close to being there. And we, and, but by the way, when you see the footage in the movie, it will be finished in a different way than it was for Comic-Con. We lack elements uh, in the Comic-Con uh, teaser that I, I, if, if this was the movie, I wouldn't have finished those shots. <laughs> Today in Comic-Con, we had uh, Superman, we had The Hobbit, we had Iron Man, all existing properties. How yeah. difficult is it to get a movie like this made? It's not based on a comic book. It's not based on a board game. No stars. No stars. Although Idris Elba is a, a god. A chub- he is a god. Yeah. A chubby Mexican at the helm. No, you know, the, <laughs> the, the fact is, uh, with, with partners like, like Legendary and Warners and uh, Thomas Toll and John Jashney, who are legendary, I mean, they are gung-ho about this. And they, I've never experienced quite something like it. 
I, I, I really love the fact that uh, uh, when we were casting, I said, Charlie Hunnam. And Thomas Toll says, oh, Charlie's great. Okay. I, he didn't say, look, these are the five names I need <laughs> in order to greenlight this movie. Yeah. He didn't say, uh, he said uh, he was excited about it not being based on any property. He said, I think we should create more new properties. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, I, it was heaven. And that's pretty much it for this year's uh, Comic-Con. Uh, what have been the highlights? James, what's been your highlight? I'd have to say uh, seeing the footage from both Looper and Elysium with frankly both look brilliant. Can't wait to see either of those. And uh, yeah, definitely. Best costume and all. Best costume? I would have to say uh, an entire gallery of Disney villains all gathered together, including hilariously a hunter with Bambi's mum. Sorry, <laughs> Bambi. <laughs> Cruel bastard. And uh, best celebrity spot? Best celebrity spot, I think, will be today, Mr. Elijah Wood walking Ooh. through the uh, upstairs of the Hilton Bayfront Hotel. But mm-hmm. also, and. Was uh, he accompanied by three other people, three other hobbits, a dwarf, an elf? Two men and a wizard? He was, yes, he was. <laughs> okay, well, there you go, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> and they have to be careful because the spies of Saruman are everywhere. <laughs> and Nick, what was your highlight? I'm going to say Pacific Rim. Maybe because I got really short term memory, but that, that <laughs> was. I got real goosebumps. And actually, followed by Godzilla. Yeah. I, that just made me really want to watch big monsters um, and make a, a big movie. Combat. Yeah, I could happily just sit and watch monster movies for the rest of the day. That's got yeah. me amped up. Um, best costume I did see a uh, a gentleman uh, dressed as a game of Angry Birds which was pretty <laughs> astonishing he had a beak uh, he had a cat he was kind of launching himself It was. it's quite complicated to describe I'm not sure I can do it justice in words but that was amazing uh, in terms of celebrity spots uh, it's it's been a, a virtual panoply of stars I've seen Harvey Weinstein yeah um, I've seen Eugene Merman from Flight of the Concords <laughs> that's it <laughs> wow Wow, it's been that's it. That's a cream of Hollywood right there. No, I've seen I've seen more than that, but um, you know I don't I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to bore you. You, with you don't want to boast about the people you walk past. <laughs> in the yeah, I don't. I don't want to make anyone jealous. I've I've seen a whole bunch of people that I I kind of recognise because I, I know they're in stuff, but I don't know their names. So today I saw a comedian who looks a bit like Bob Odenkirk, but he's not. I know he's not Bob, right? Uh, and he was signing autographs and stuff, but I don't know his name. But was he signing autographs? Was he signing was, Bob Odenkirk? On? He probably was. And then yesterday I saw a bloke with a beard who's in something. Um, and I also saw Nathan Villian. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I saw someone else today as well, but uh, but I, I can't really remember. Best costume, I think, today I saw the, uh, a, a guy and his son, and they were both dressed as Silver Surfer. And his little son was about five years old and had a little, little silver yeah. board, and it was very, very That's cute. something really special about when a father and son, or a, a mother and daughter, or whatever combination you have, uh, go in synced-up costumes. I don't think anything will beat... Uh, last year when I saw a ring wraith <laughs> and his son who was also dressed as a Nazgul and they were kind of standing outside the conference centre doing menacing uh, it, was, it was brilliant adorably menacing things probably yeah. it's yeah. one of the reasons why I love Comic Con a lot of people diss Comic Con a lot of people who have never been to Comic Con diss Comic Con but uh, I think they should come here and then they would change their tune because this place is all about acceptance and people come here and they, they may not feel that they fit in anywhere else but they fit in here and they have the courage to wear costumes and the courage to be themselves and I love that. That said, 
there are some people who should not dress in a Princess Leia slave costume. Well, and they yes, all seem is. to be here. Yes, there is. But also, at the risk of my wife listening to this, there are people who should wear Princess Leia slave girl costumes, and there are a lot of them about. And uh, God bless you, Comic Con, for that. <laughs> and on that bombshell, I think it is time to say goodbye, fairly well to the Hilton Bayfront, and fairly well to Comic Con for another another great year. All that remains for me to say goodbye to Jaime Blanco. Live long and prosper. And goodbye to Nacho. Be well. And of course, it's goodbye for me. Uh, we'll be back next week with a regular podcast. We're also going to have a very special Jason Isaacs podcast, which is a must listen. And we'll be back next year, if you can wait that long, for more Comic Con goodness. See you then. <laughs>